This episode of Strange Assembly is brought to you by www.l5rsearch.com. L5rsearch.com is a comprehensive online L5R card database with tools to assist in optimizing your decks, proxying cards, or simply finding out about unusual cards. Once you know what you need, www.l5rshop.com puts cards in your hands quickly and economically. This is Strange Assembly episode 123, Ivory Squared. I can't remember if we already did an episode called Ivory, so I figured I'd just dodge it, and then we can refer to the fact that Ivory Edition <laughs> Colot is out, and we just had Ivory Championships. Do you think that works? Uh, sure. It's hilarious reasoning to uh, excuse yourself. Why not? It's, it's I... so hard to, you know, look at the archives. <laughs> yeah, that would be awful. It's like much much easier to just, you know, come up with a ridiculous name and excuse it somehow. Woohoo! I'm I'm always happy to excuse myself with math. Uh, <laughs> well, I am. That, hey, that squared. Actually, that's math. Yeah, that actually explains why you keep doing the stats. <laughs> well, you know, I, I got to do something with that physics degree. Mm. I am Chris Stevenson. The other gentleman here is Jay Earl. Hey. And this is Strange Assembly, your tabletop gaming podcast. Today is L5R Ivory Day, or maybe yesterday was officially Ivory Day. It, it feels like that was the official day because that's when the uh, the PDF with the full spoiler came out, even though... Like, 93% of the cars had already been spoiled, or probably more than well, that. Yeah, and the set itself is in for yeah. a month or something. I, we don't know yeah. exactly. Uh, but it, it does be. I, Ivory Championships, it wasn't... It was. I guess it was. we could say it was the last exclusively Emperor Edition event. I, I think Ruby Championships this weekend is a two-day thing, and the first day you play Emperor Edition, and the second day you play... Ivory Colot PDF edition, and I, I don't think anybody else is going to do Emperor, but I guess they still have the option. So, uh, what we're going to talk about today is a little bit about Ivory Championships, because we just ran that last weekend on the 11th, and then we're going to talk about Ivory Edition uh, and and the environment in some extremely tentative and generalized terms. So, first, we did have the Ivory Championships. When I've done the Ivory Championships or other uh, Atlanta-area winter court events in the past, I usually try to get them near the beginning of the winter court season. This year, since Sophia was due right at the beginning of October, I applied to have the event as late as possible in the winter court season, which is why we ended up in or maybe it wasn't specifically as late as possible, but at least late in the winter court season, so we ended up uh, with the January 11th date. That ended up working out pretty well. We didn't have any conflicts with anybody else, and we had a number of people travel in to sort of get their last chance at Emperor Edition. So we had 40 people come, which was definitely more than I was expecting. I was very happy with that. Uh, as I said, I we had that, and then we had the really good attendance at the Atlanta Cote 
in the spring of 2013. So now I'm going to be very sad if we don't continue this strong attendance trend with the Atlanta Cote uh, on on March 15th uh, of 2014. So, Jay, just I'm letting you know I'm blaming you if that doesn't work out. Okay, okay I, I see how it is. Yes. And, and now, like, three people are going to show up. Because they all want to blame you? Well, yes. Come on, help Jay. You don't want me to be mean to him anymore, right? Like, that'll change. Come to the Cote. Yeah, the, the event was won by uh, Stephen Franklin, who playing Scorpion Dishonor and got to, uh, to got to pick a the new second-in-command for the Ivory Champion and chose Bayushi Shizuka, which uh, I liked because that was a Winter Court 3 delegate. That was the head of the Scorpion delegation, which the Scorpion players probably will really like because she's the soul of Bayushi Seiya. And which other people will probably loathe because Bayushisea yes was a really annoying card for an awful lot of people, and she got reprinted with the lowered gold cost, lowered slash the same gold cost for Ivory Edition. I have to say, for the Ivory Edition cards that are Winter Court three delegates, the art just isn't right. I can't hear Bayushi Shizuka and and picture Bayushisea's art because. You know, I did Winter Court for, you know, the two months or whatever it was, and there's an avatar in my head that is that <laughs> character. Similarly, like Miramoto Niwa, it's Mir- it's a soul of Miramoto K, so it's Miramoto K's old art, but the art that I actually, that I think of is actually the the art from the Dragon Sensei from Emperor Edition. Man, the Sensei just did not work out, did they? Yeah. Like, nobody used the... And for those of you who are not around for Emperor Edition... Completely different kind of sensei than you get in Ivory Edition. But yeah, he he had used her art for the character's avatar, and so that is all that I uh, I picture for Miramoto Niwa. Eh, what you gonna do? But yeah, we had we had a couple of line in the top eight. The only two line at the tournament were in the top eight. Both of them with I, I called them Paragons plus decks. I don't know exactly how. I don't know how similar they were. And then there was a Battle Maidens deck, which of course has a number of Paragon actions. There were several Dishonor decks. There was a Crab Dishonor deck, a Scorpion Dishonor deck, and I guess two Dishonor decks, and then the the Phoenix She-Death deck. I'm going to attack you when there's nobody to defend with deck. Yes, yes. Have I Chi-Killed every single one of your personalities? No? Then I'm going to take my turn Chi-Killing whatever you've got on the board. Yeah, yeah that, that does it does a lot of things with using the minus four force penalty and then swapping chi and force and then using blood of shahai to give people minus one chi. Uh, obviously there are other tricks than that, but that is kind of a, a central thing. Yeah, like do you have what was kind of hilarious is you would have five chi three force guy where they would switch the stats, give them minus four from the box, switch the stats back just to make them one chi so Shahai could kill. Yes. <laughs> there was there was a lot of math what, watching those the finals games with that deck. Yeah, and and Franklin's uh, winning deck had some chi death too. Not that kind of combo tasticness, but you had uh, the Shadowlands Shugenja who comes in and gives somebody minus one chi. You had the Scorpion Poison guy who is bowed, and he gets a minus one, minus one token, and then the target gets a minus one, minus one token, 
and he also had Shahai, and you kind of combine that with the Dishonor, and you go after the Dishonored people, and often you don't even have to activate the thing because they had they feel like they have to seppuku before rather than giving you the chance to kill their dishonorable guy and give them another honor loss. Yeah, it's kind of funny. I think that yeah, I mean Franklin always plays dishonor. Always. Like at the the first cote of Emperor Edition when we had something like seventeen Scorpion players and sixteen of them were playing Paragons or something along those lines. Yeah. The one that wasn't was Franklin. <laughs> yeah. He is always gonna play Dishonor, but it's it's the sort of Everything that people would hate about Dishonor, just I I don't defend in any real way. My defense is here's my absent battle terrain that negates your bonuses. I just try to cause you so many honor losses that uh that you can't do anything. And then oh, and then add to add to it, I'm gonna cheat at you just to to take another mechanic that people find infuriatingly annoying. Yeah, Franklin is not afraid to make people hate him. <laughs> no, it's uh. And then I think the other the other decks in the top eight were a dragon, whether it was a dragon Kensei and a Tomori Honor deck. So I think I I think I hit all of them. But that was that was nice to have. So we had a pretty good turnout. Even with that turnout, it was we were able to give a lot of product to people. I thought you know people got as much in value from the boosters that we handed out over the course of the day as their. Uh, their entry fee, even for the people who didn't make the the cut. I came up with a good use of the uh, the aftermath tin that got smashed in transit. <laughs> it was also nice. We we had we had longtime players coming in for their you know for their last taste of Emperor Edition. We had new players who were just getting some tournament experience in, but really who were coming in for Emperor Edition. We had some some lapsed players from the region who were hoping to get back in with Ivory Edition and were coming yeah, back we out to, to hang out. We had a bunch of people I haven't seen in like two, three, four years. Yeah, yeah. And we also had uh, we had a couple of people yeah, who was their first tournament, including, I, I think, a couple of people who had basically really heard about and gotten into L5R, picking it up from seeing it on Strange Assembly, which, I, which was really nice. I- and for that, we apologize. <laughs> Why are we apologizing? Because they got into L5R? Yes. We couldn't have been that bad at introduction if they, you know, <laughs> came and played. And that included, the, like, the one, the one thing I was talking to, I, I, think, I think it was Roger, I apologize if I'm forgetting that. Like, he didn't, he had been looking at it on Strange Assembly, or, like, I think he had a friend who had gotten him into it, and, like, that friend had been looking at Strange Assembly, and uh, and so he picked up, dragon and this was his his first time out and and he had come down for that despite not realizing that we were the ones running the tournament uh (laughs) like i mean it wasn't like he came down because it was the strange assembly tournament it was just a coincidence so that was nice that was a uh i guess a good send-off for me for emperor edition and and now we can move on to uh ivory so yeah, we we Hooray! now have yay <laughs> yeah. So so we now have everything for Ivory. Although I have to say it's as I you you and I Jay and, and others have noted, it's mildly annoying that if you're in the Oracle of the Void where you would really like to go into for doing deck building now because you don't have the physical cards, they still don't have the settings quite right. So there are a good healthy chunk of cards that are in Ivory Edition, but that are not yet marked as Ivory Legal. 
Right, I think they just forgot to uh, flag them as legal. Because, yeah, I was building a deck today, uh, a Phoenix deck, and I got near the... Because I'm the type that I'd just like to look at everything and be like, yeah, that might go in, that might go in, well, that might go in. And at the end, at trim it stage. down. Yeah, and so I get to the... I was nearing the end, I'm like, wait a second, I haven't put Silver Mine in this deck. What's going on? <laughs> yeah, oops. What? There are only ten crab personalities in Ivory Edition? Oh, no, wait. Three of them are hiding. Go, Somebody go fetch mm. me the Asuki. Again, I said this earlier, but first of all, we're, we're just going to sort of ruminate on some stuff for the Ivory Edition. This is the most general of terms. Yesterday, we have the full set. So, I'm not going to pretend like under the best of circumstances we could consume an entirely new edition in a day and and spit it back out with any semblance of the tale. But also... Right, we actually have these things called day jobs, so... Um. But yeah, well, but also, this, there's also just the massive change in... How things work. In the rules, and how yeah. the the gold works, and, I mean, it's gonna... They're I making, mean, yeah, it's... It's going to take a lot of playing to really figure out what a gold scheme looks like, what it, what it sh- how it should flow, how many how many of what type of holdings you want to go with, especially if you're doing like the three in one scheme, because that's just so different from anything you've seen before. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, and I haven't done math like because that starts to get messy to actually try to do the math on the three ones like. How does three one balance out? Because it it it's reminiscent in some ways of what we have had for the gold scheme. Because prior to this, you would have had for most clans, you would have had your four gold, four gold producing stronghold, and your two gold producing border keep. And so, right on your ideal first turn, for the most part, you would hit a. If you weren't running sixes, let's set those aside for a moment. You know, you're trying to hit a four gold producer and a, a, something that costs four. Four gold cost, yeah. Yeah, and something that costs two, because that's just more efficient. If I get something that is, you know, a four and vows for three or four conditionally, or at this point, the Nexus of Lies or stuff, you know, the Ivory Edition things coming in, I'd much rather buy a four for four and a two for two than be with like, oh, it's a two for two and another two for two. So you really want to hit those four gold holdings, but you can only put so many of them because two four-cost holdings is worthless. Yeah. At the start. I mean, I mean, but at least you're okay if you have two two-cost holdings. Well, for Ivory Edition, it's kind of like that with the three-one holding scheme. You've got four gold on your first turn for most boxes, and you can't buy two threes. So you're in the same sort of position, right? There's a limit to how many three-cost holdings you can have, or else you're just going to be getting, like, there's going to be too great a chance that you'll miss on the one, and then, I don't know, maybe it's not the end of the world if you just buy a three-cost holding. But your optimal start, you want to have a three and a one. That's the whole point. But you can't go too low on threes, because you really don't want it for turn one that's like, I buy two one-cost holdings. I suppose you could just get lucky and be like, I buy four one-cost holding. Ah, that's actually pretty good. I mean, if you if you could yeah, get yeah. a start that was four one-cost holdings that like just were one for ones, that would actually be great. Not only do you get four production out of your your holdings that you bought, but it's super versatile and you, you can combine it, and split yeah. it, and but I mean that's just 
that's never going to happen. That's you know, a, a really you just unreliable. have to play, you know, 36 holdings, and then you guarantee it. <laughs> that's right. I don't have anything to do with my gold, but by other gold. <laughs> but, so let's see. These here are my sort of general options. I think it's helpful to try to pay attention to what seems to have changed from the pre-ivory sets to the ivory sets. Like I've said this, like, let's, let's assume that that the design team has gotten things right in Ivory Edition. Ivory Edition, Edition weapons seem really weak. Like they have no force. Uh, you have to pay six to get more than two force on a weapon in, in Ivory Edition. And so that would lead you to think that, wow, so force, they have determined that it's really, really strong to pile the force onto a guy, like, like you can with an item. And so these just aren't very good. And so you look at the the new ones, you're like, well, that kind of stinks. But it may signal that going back, Family Sword and Justice of the Crane, which are two ivory bugged, but not yet at ivory. So, you know, they had to come up with the whole one-handed, two-handed weapon thing. Those weapons might be really good. Also, what was which was the sword that had uh, force equal to your personal honor? Oh, so, yeah, Sapoon's Blessed Blade. Right. Yeah, so if you're a yeah, crane or lion, that's pretty consistently a, at least a plus three, plus two for five, which which I think would, I mean, that again, that's a cheaper than you can get a plus three in Ivory Edition, because I think Heavy Yari is the, the cheapest plus three thing in Ivory, and that's six. I think uh, I have just kind of by happenstance been born out, I, I think, with Coils of Madness. I remember when, when Coils of Madness came out, we were talking about it, I said, a lot of this stuff looks like it stinks now. It'll be amazing. Yeah. But I, I bet when Ivory, by the time we get to Ivory, it's going to look really good. And I think that there are a number of guys that when you go back and look at Coils of Madness, I, I think especially some of the higher force guys... I feel like they changed the cost on force. Yeah. There's the Mantis Minor Clan personality who is five force for six and then gets plus two force when he's opposed. That's bonkers. Just a little, yeah. Nobody, nobody. It's Tochiko the Jagged Tusk of Death. Yeah, if I... Nobody gets forced like that. There's there's the two crab guys, the Shijo, the Steel-Eyed, and then uh, Nakaro, Eater of Flesh. I mean, Nakaro's a Fallen, but nobody's getting anything like 9 Force for 11. And the Shoji... I don't think anybody's getting 9 Force, period. I don't think you can buy that Force in... No, no, you can't. I, I think the only other way you can buy that Force is with the Dark Naga, who's... Nine force for fourteen, and then battles for a ranged nine. That is not bad. You look, you lose a few mm. honor to bring him into play, but that's not not bad. If as long as just make sure your deck has ways to straighten the nine force guy after you bow him for the ranged attack. But that's that's really good. The uh, like I said, Nasoji the Shieldite is is six force for seven by I don't know, by comparison. Ogre Bushi, which is back in the base set, is six force for nine, and like that seems pretty appropriately costed. I, I know Nishoji is a unique, but but still, uh, that's true. You know, the uniqueness is true of most of the people who are in Coils of Madness. My clan benefits from this with one guy at least because Tagashi Mitsu 
Um, the guy who can have a for seven gold gets kind of like your choice of a ranged five or five fours. That's extremely good. And Saruchi for the Mantis is extremely good. Uh, again, to go back to the non-humans, the Shakash experienced is not bad. Six force conqueror four nine with a movement ability. Yeah. Pay attention to that, guys. I, I, again, I don't know. I don't know how the costing of these things is going to work out. I don't know how much you're going to want to pay nine for one guy versus littler guys, but that guy is extremely efficiently costed for for what he does. Bayushi Kachiko is nuts. Yeah, yeah, she is. If we're again, if we're talking about how important force is, and that's one of the things. Remember, they talk about you know how important force is, and that's why it doesn't much. Giving minus one force to every personality who attacks you ever, plus getting to do the making somebody lose two honor if they, you know, unless they don't attack you with their best guy, that is an enormous, enormous swing. Right. I mean, blanket force reduction like that can very easily turn the math from three cards to a province into four, five, even six cards to be busting a province. Uh, yeah, yeah. And that's before the Scorpion player even shows up and does anything in the battle. That's just to get to the province strength. Yeah. Now, balance-wise, I mean, are there any factions that, again, at this sort of super mega early level that we feel like got hosed or are kind of under curvy or... Uh, I mean, I don't, I don't want to pick on myself just because it starts sounding persecute, self-persecuting, but I, I just don't see what I'm supposed to be doing with Phoenix. I don't like where our honor deck is at, and that one gold hit and giant crazy amount of moving parts for the samurai synergy deck just doesn't seem like it's there yet either. I, I, I guess we have. Attack Shugenjas is what we're going to have to be doing early arc. So, it's not like we've got nothing, but I feel like the two main focuses we've gotten so far don't have the support they need, aren't quite where they need to be. Yeah, I mean, Phoenix has some upsides, it has some downsides. On The the whole splitting thing is kind of interesting. That That has been something that dragon players have have complained about and i have generally told them to shove off over over the span of of years now and and that's the the sort of fragmented personality base right but i mean usually when dragon has fragmented they're at least not expected to be in the same deck yeah oh no 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 yeah but i well i mean i mean i think it's more important for a reason and less important for a reason let me talk why they like the or the less distinguishing the the reason it's less problematic for a particular hand is that everybody has this to some extent now. If you sure. look at the Ivory Edition clans and you look at the strongholds and what the expected like the, the sensei you get with Ivory Launch and the one you're expected to get in an expansion or two or whenever it is that they come out, every single clan, one of those two sensei themes is a non military win condition. I I think. Okay, Cranes, obviously, they have a military sensei, and they do non-military stuff. Lion, 
the ancestor honor is is an on, ancestors they're going to have that it's going to be an honor theme crab are going to have yasuki dishonor dragon will have tomori honor mantis will have the kitsune honor deck spider have a courtier honor deck scorpion have dishonor and military obviously uh i think the the unicorn i think the ide are going to be there one of their uh their sensei themes uh, along with the death priest one that they got already I, I don't know maybe i missed one out there but i think every single faction has that so so that is one thing to keep in mind that everybody has that to some extent but then the other one is that the reason why the ways in which it's more important now to some extent is that if you go to Emperor Edition, or even in Celestial Edition, although all four weren't supported really right from launch then, is all these cards and personalities and strategies were really focused on the theme. Like, it, it how much does it matter that you've got guys that aren't really compatible when there isn't really a lot of cross-pollination between these anyway? You know, I've got my... Kitsuki, and I've got my Tomori, and I've got my Kensei, and I got, but whatever. I mean, I, each of those is getting its own cards. They're specific for the deck. Everything is so keyword heavy that you're really focused on, on that deck. I mean, the, the counter argument and the complaint that people would make is that a lot of times for military factions, for, for a lot of factions, your best deck at the end of the arc always ends up being, here is my giant pile of awesome guys. And having the fragmented personality base is bad for that because you just don't have that same spread of guys to potentially be awesome to jam into your mishmash deck. Well, in Ivory Edition, that's kind of one of everyone's themes. What is the Crab Stronghold theme when you look at the personality base? Well, it's just going to be Crab good guys, right? Because there isn't that much keyword-specific stuff. There isn't really a lot of reason to... Only, there's no reason to run only Berserkers or only Commanders. or Not, not right now. Not until you got off into the sensei. So, if if you're a clan whose personalities tend to lean towards that sort of, well, let's just go generic military guys, then that is pretty good. And you can, I mean, there's a reasonable amount of stuff that requires a samurai, but for most clans, everybody's a samurai, or or almost everybody's a samurai, or the one keyword that is most distinct from everybody else, shugenja. Right, you've got okay. You just have a bunch of Genja. You have your your split. So I mean, I could see clans that get that are worse as far as that goes, having more of an issue coming up with a clear deck at the beginning, and that can matter the most at the beginning of an arc because one of the things that happens at the very beginning of an environment, especially when it's a completely new environment like an arc change, is that the decks that do the best are the ones that are the most obvious. That people only, you know, people only have so much time to fully explore the environment and fully test things and fully come up with nuances and combos and subtle things. And sometimes just the thing that looks good right from the start is something you can quickly build a really good deck for, and that will come out and do well early before the environment gets more defined. So after that long soliloquy, to go back to your Phoenix, your Phoenix do have kind of a, a thing, yeah. If you're playing the straight-up Shugenja, well, what do you really do with the samurai? They can't use any of the spells. Right. I mean, you're if you're playing if you're not playing the mix, you're almost assuredly. I mean, maybe you're splashing a couple samurai because 
they have really good personal honor, and you can just use them for favor. But yes, it's really hard to be running around with so many moving pieces like that, uh, where you have to find card A to go with card B when not everything in the deck is A. Yeah, and, and clearly your Shugenja base is split between guys who are supposed to be military and guys who are supposed to be honor. I mean, maybe there's some amount of crossover there, but you've got these dudes that are like, okay, this personality costs six for, to be a, or five to be a zero, four. All right, honor deck personality. Yeah. And then some guy who costs nine to be four force and have reserve. Well, that's a military personality. And it's kind of weird. I'm not sure that, I guess, honor, something like honor, is that supposed to be your generic theme? Because the Tensei, the Fire Tensei military guys are your, are your other Sensei theme. So I guess that's off the box. Yeah. Is honor stuff? I think from the write up, they said that the stronghold theme was meant to be air honor. And then that comes back to something that I know, again, you and I have talked about off offline, as I I don't know how the other honor decks beat Crane. No. At my first glance. Crane's ability to sit back there and robot honor is really strong. I mean, you can cross, like, turn six or something? I'm, pretty, pretty standard yeah, I, with Crane, I, I think. I, I haven't done the math, but it looks like they made a serious push in Ivory to put the honor on the holdings, and so when you have a stronghold that really helps with that, that's huge. And then, it also, it looks like they've made a push that Shugenja honor is battle honor, Courtier honor, which Crane is, is more limited open phase honor, which is really hard for a battle honor deck to to deal with. Yeah, usually by default, if you've got the honor deck that's about gaining honor faster but has weaker defense, and it's playing an honor deck that isn't quite as good as gaining honor fast, but it's got a stronger defense, the the paper honor, or whatever you want to call it, Wins. is heavily, yeah. yeah, heavily, heavily favored in that. That was, you know, the Mantis players always used to hate that with the... Uh, the Kitsune, that's why you saw so many cards in Emperor Edition that were really focused on, like, oh, Kitsune can use this and it whacks the other honor deck that they're right. trying to catch up with because they, they started a lower honor. And, but, I mean, yeah, the, the crane, their box gives them an extra honor every turn. They've got two guys that increase the all of their proclaim honor gains by one. Just generally, like, crane honor seems like it's pretty good and the crane military sensei basically doesn't have a drawback except to say you can't play me in an honor deck <laughs> yeah i so that's uh that's not shabby at all they get yeah the the soken could be handy there honor gaining holdings pretty nice o on the flip side i really don't know about dishonor i mean dishonor definitely picked up some structural impediments but they do already seem to have a lot of ability to to apply f some force penalties to make it harder to attack you, and there are a couple of ways to still get off some good honor losses, and I didn't, re I had misread the company you keep at first, and that thing is really punishing. Which one is that? The, the company you keep, it's a strategy where you target a personality, and so 
once you have somebody dishonored, you target a dishonorable personality. And this turn, whenever the you, you target one of your opponent's personalities, anytime they buy somebody, if that if the personality they're buying has higher personal honor than the personal honor of the guy you targeted, then that personality comes into play dishonored. So if you dishonor one guy and then play the company you keep, everyone they buy that turn will be come into play dishonored. And because and they can't pro- proclaim, and and yeah, yeah and, and the proclaim is now zero. So not only that effectively an honor loss of you know two or three, or you know preventing an honor gain of two or three, but then it puts another two or three dishonored bodies on the table. Really not shabby, but but there, there are structural impediments so that people actually will be gaining honor. Right. Every deck is going to be proclaiming, not just honor decks. Yes, and proclaiming is effectively an action. It, it kind of got confused there, because they had said, well, Proclaim isn't an action. So, like, we had been thinking in terms of, oh, you can't use things that mess with actions on Proclaim, but that's that's actually not how it works. Proclaiming is a procedure, as they say it, but it's like, when you're going to recruit, you say that this is your Proclaim, and then instead of just being a recruit action, like, it gets the Proclaim keyword, and then you gain the honor, it is, is, is a Proclaim action, so you can... So you can things that mess with honor gains from actions will mess with proclaiming as well. Yeah. And, and there's a lot of of honor dings, or at least several honor ding holdings out there already as well. Right. Well, it, it seems to me that we're going into an environment because this is one of those things with dishonor that goes back and forth by environment. Looks to me like we're going into an environment where dishonoring somebody is relatively cheap but the punishment for being dishonored is not that bad, as opposed to other environments where it's really hard to get them dishonored, but then you have just ridiculous actions once it happens. Yeah, I mean, and and seppuku is gone, which is less significant than people might think, because uh, here's the thing, if you're playing against a military deck, if you have a dishonored deck against a military deck, and they have to start committing seppuku, you already won. Almost assuredly, yes. <laughs> I mean, it, it may take a little longer, but they can't take your provinces now. <laughs> well, I mean, there are a few edge cases where that's not true, especially if you're into a really, really hard-to-dishonor environment, but for the most part, yeah. In recent environments. I mean, if you go back yeah. to Samurai Edition, yeah, you'd want to dishonor. You, you, you'd seppuku dishonor guys pretty quickly, because it was so hard to dishonor people, and it was so brutal what you could do to them once they were dishonored. Oh, I'd like to steal your personality this battle. I'd like to bow your entire army. I'd like to... And and so on, and, and so forth. Let's see, Lion... The one thing about Ray Sensei I'll say, and I'll, I'll note about the Lion as well, I, it's not as bad, I think, as people think about the... Uh, the three gold with the, the three gold. changeover, yeah. Yeah, because you can, I mean, now you can you can just run a bunch of three for threes, and yeah. you can you're always going to exit turn two with twelve gold. That's not as good as you could do if you could run a holding scheme that was just all four gold holdings, but you can't actually run that scheme because there aren't enough of them. Right. I mean, yeah, I think really what it comes down to the major disadvantage of having a three gold cost is you lose the versatility of being able to choose. A three one. Though I suppose you could just do two one and instead if you really wanted to. I don't. Yeah, I I thought about that. I don't think you want to do that. I mm. mean, you can have some ones in there. There are some 
it may just depend on what you're willing to tolerate as far as right. possible inconsistencies on exactly what your goal well, I mean, is. To, to me, if I were if I were building that deck, I would do I would do three the three holdings, and then like I had done with small farms, I would put a few utility ones in not in my holding slots but in my extra slots because I'm not expecting them to be my early gold. I'm expecting them to be late game utility. And there are some reasons to get some ones in there though. The clan holdings always provide an interesting thing. Like even if you're playing a three for three scheme, well, the clan holding is a two for three, so you're probably yeah. gonna be running that. Well if you have a clan holding and a one gold producer on turn one jackpot yeah, the, the clan holding basically becomes a three for three that says get an extra one for one. Yeah, or if you get if you get the turn one Suana Dojo, then on turn <laughs> two you've got sorry. Yeah, no, I was laughing because that's funny. Yeah, then on turn two you've got seven gold to spend. Well, if you only have three gold holdings, what are you gonna do with that? I mean, you I suppose you might get super lucky and be like, aha, I hit a three gold holding and I hit two clan holdings. But you do have some ability to to manipulate those circumstances too, because one of the three for threes. I mean, you you can play it as a four for four, but it's a it's also a three for threes. Jade Pearl in, and so you can just buy it as a three for three if you want. But you also have the ability to have a smaller number of one for ones and kind of pull them up as they're going to fit into the the scheme that you're doing. So there's that. Right. I mean, they've done an excellent job with the pooling of actually making the holding decision interesting again. So it'll it'll really be interesting a year from now, once people have had a chance to play with it and analyze it better in depth, what the, you know, opinions on these things are. Well, yeah. Here's what's interesting uh, to me. I, I'm sure I'd get shot if I actually asked him, but I want to ask this. I want to be like, Reese, so how long until you eliminate the emptying of gold pools between phases? <laughs> Yeah. Because I, I suspect that once people get used to gold pooling generally, they're going to start getting irritated by the fact that they spend two to pay some one gold strategy and then buy. Especially since now there are a lot, there are actually things like a lot of one gold holdings and strategies that cost one. And right. Not well, as I mean, much in the base set. Do you notice that? Like it seems like once you get into the base set, all of a sudden, where'd all the strategies that have gold costs go? I mean, it's a lot of reprints, so... I mean, yeah, how annoying would it be to play the four-holding four scheme and be like, okay, so I'm going to attach this two-force for two-gold follower, then during the battle I'm going to play this strategy that costs a gold, and now I need to buy my seven-cost guy and my five-cost guy. Yeah, and, and that does that's not necessarily a problem. I can see people being irritated by that, but I think the counter is, well... You've made your gold really hyper efficient by have by actually running a scheme that's all right. four for four. So that's well, I mean, just the price you pay. I, I think I mean that specific example especially gets into an interesting question of how much should you tailor your gold scheme to your deck? For instance, that deck where it's like I'm gonna be paying a lot of two in the limited, I'm gonna be paying a lot of small ones in the battle, and then I've got a bunch of odd numbers on my people is four for four really a good holding solution for that would i not be better served with two for twos 
Well, I don't I don't think it really matters that much as far as what your people cost. I, I mean, other than possibility of having another two up on on their turn, a lot of the time in Dynasty you're just dumping all of it. Sure. Dynasties where you get to do what they they talk about in the previews, where it's like I have sixteen gold. I have guys that cost 16 gold. I can just buy them. The problem is when you have like, well, I have a strategy that costs two, and I have a attachment that costs three, and I have guys that cost this, but, oh, wait, I can't actually spend the 16 gold I have because of, of how it got split up. But like I said, for right now, you don't actually have to make that decision. But it is one of the reasons why all of the four for fours are, are really good. I mean, Nexus of Lies is sort of a, a meta-interesting thing. I think for high honor clans, the four for fours end up being as gold efficient as I think they are, and they may not be. That would mean the Nexus of Lies is everywhere. Yeah. And it would be very hard for high honor clans to run cards that cause them an honor loss. Yeah, I mean, I think even if it isn't hugely prevalent, just its existence in the environment is going to be that, yeah, something, the card would have to be amazing for Lion, Crane, Phoenix, even Dragon and Unicorn to be playing something with an honor hit on it. Yeah, well, if I think if it's... I mean, if it's around, but only in small amounts, or only in Dishonored decks, then you just... Like, if it's a personality, you just, you know, discard the fall in that game. Like, oh, there's an excess of Lies out. No, I'm not going to buy Nobru the Shattered Star this time. Right. But... It's a lot. What? It's four. Like four every time the lion get hit with it. Yeah. I'm I'm sorry, uh, Second City Guard Commander. You are not coming out to play this game. So there's that. Productive Mind with his Karmic is also really good. But but then Jade Pearl in. Jade Pearl in might be the best because not only does it give you the efficiency of a four for four, but it splits the money up in a way that makes your your stuff more flexible. But since you can't run all four for fours, you could take a gold steam and you can have sort of nine four for fours. You've got three Nexus of Lies, three Productive Mind, three Jade Pearl in. You probably have thrown at least two one ones in there. And then you're kind of forced to go into other costs of holding anyway. Uh, yeah. You know, so you're gonna end up, you're gonna have your clan holdings in there, and you're probably gonna have some other things. I don't, I, I don't know what the right thing to necessarily do is. You know, if you have items, there's a holding that produces extra gold for items, or, and you could also go the other way. Like, let's say I have the option to actually play a holding scheme that's all four for fours, and that ends up being really strong. It might be worth it to tailor the fate deck to the holding scheme rather than the other way around. Like, okay, I, I think this discipline card is really good, but is it really worth it when I, I the gold is just not going to work? Yeah, I mean, if you're playing the 4 for 4, suddenly things come in force. So is this this 8 gold item is just as costly to me as the 5 gold weapon, and it's probably better since it costs more, so why would I play the 5 gold weapon? Uh, yeah, yeah, all of a sudden it's like, well, yeah, if, if four is the same as eight, my clan armor becomes a lot more attractive. Right. Especially if I'm the Mantis, and my clan armor then basically bows to produce four gold. <laughs> yeah. Or, like, there was, there was one card that's like, pay three to straighten a holding, that suddenly becomes much more interesting of a card. I mean, it's one Koku, I suppose, but... 
Yes, yes, it's one Koku, except you can't play it on turn one, and blah, blah, yeah. blah, blah. But, yeah, there's the, the Colot card, the the one where you put the guy in a cage, that costs four. Hey, look at that. But, but yeah, there, there's a lot of stuff to be to sort of determined in the meta, like, wow, it's, it's kind of, it seems kind of easy to get range twos and melee twos. Does that make two force guys really weak? Is that like really a problem? Guys with two force are just going to get obliterated or, right. or, or are people not going to want to play with two force guys? So therefore, what's the point of playing with things that are only melee twos? Yeah. Well, and also, it's not just two-force guys, but it seems to me there are a lot of two-force for two-gold followers running around. So if two-point attacks are also in high prevalence, those become a lot less interesting. But they are so efficient, they're small, so you can run a lot of them. Is it worth running despite the fact that they're such easy sniper shot? You get some really efficient force on the followers compared to everything else, I guess, right now. Yeah. You look at items, you're paying at least two for two, or like four for two, or five for two of the followers. I mean, you start with light infantry, two force for one. Yeah. Now, again, now we were talking about, okay, so that cost you one, so you bowed a two for two probably for that, so you may be... uh, Yeah, you may be paying two anyway, or you may be, I mean, I played a game of the uh, Matter of Honor the other day, and I'm like, okay, turn three, okay, I've got a guy ready to attack. I'm going to bow one holding two followers. Yeah, yeah, ideally, that would be nice. Because, yeah, certainly, again, you can see what seems to be the increased importance of the personal force of the guy. Yeah, it's just all the things being equal, like the the combination of abilities and force on the followers seems to be better than that of on items but you know then you can just range the attack range the attack and right. take them out separately intentionally the trade-off the reason for that yeah i, I don't know but so oh, and there's another one that again going back to coils of i think it was in coils of madness right the uh pay x gold do range the attack of x minus two so that's deliberations but i Back, or sorry, on the other side of the the followers versus items, followers are actually, again, more different. It seems slightly better, but maybe it's more of a protection against fear because, you know, the one follower will protect you from a fear effect of any sort of amount. I mean, all they need is a fear two, maybe, to bow the follower, but that is just, unless they've got some way to shoot the follower off, that's just permanent protection. So, right. again, you got to see how all this... Sorts How does out. all this intersect? I, I don't know. Do you think any of the the sort of random returning negation cards will be able to get played? Like, Resist Magic is... It's nifty, but I don't yeah, see I, how I, that's going to get played. <laughs> I mean, the, those, to my mind, are the type of things where it's... If three months down the road, suddenly there's a ridiculous spell deck that's unbeatable hey, we've already got the meta in there for it. That already exists. We don't have to wait for a new set to come out with the meta for it. But yeah, that one I don't see being played. The turtle shell might make the threshold early arc just because there are a lot of attacks running around. Oh. And the threshold for good is relatively weak early arc. You know what? I 
I just completely blanked on that. I I had not realized that they had updated the turtle shell. Mm. I was thinking it was only ranged attacks. I think the turtle shell. That's right. The turtle shell is now ranged and melee. I think that's absolutely playable. I think that's that. Yeah, that could be really strong because that's how you kill people. Yeah. I mean, there's a couple of lethal duels. There's one unrefusable lethal duel that's out there, but but ranged and melee. That's how you kill people. Like I, yeah, the turtle shell could be very playable. But uh, yeah, the other ones. Probably, I don't know. You've got the the sun returns could be playable too. Bow my tactician to n- nuke. Just cancel anything. Any, yeah. Anything. A stout heart. That. It's like look. It's it's like the turtle shell, but for the action, it's not nearly as scary. I don't know. Confusion accord. Uh, yeah, I just, that... That, in my mind, is one of those, oh, by gum, I hate getting sent home by the Imperial Favor, ha-ha, take that, crane player. Yeah, well, and You're not going to see it in tournament, but you'll see a lot in casual play. Well, I guess if honor is good enough, I mean, if if crane honor is as good as some people think it is, you don't have a lot of meta options. Right, well, and also... Maybe I'm missing it. There's not a huge amount of send home. No, no, no. Being able to stop that reusable send home is not a horrible action. Well, that's another sort of thing. Like I think about okay, so the the move in that doesn't straighten my guy. How good is that? Okay, move in that straightens my guy or straightens my unit. That is is great because yeah. I could always use that to move in a guy who attacked last turn. But there's not a lot of send home. There's some. They're seeking the way, like the Phoenix have some. You've got seeking the way. You've got that. That you've got the Shugenja who bows to send somebody home. You've now got the Lion who bows to send somebody home. That was spoiled on Monday, but there's not a ton of send home, and there seems like an. There's quite a bit of move in that doesn't straighten you. Yeah. So how, how much does that get used? Yeah, and and if it's hard to use that much of the move-in, then it becomes harder to use anti-movement, which just makes the favor even better. Although I do think that Ring of Earth is still quite good, just because that can stop their moving in or your moving I don't know. Right. Having having the choice is good. Now, a card I, I wish would be playable, but will not be, is Investigation. Oh, look at that. Especially since the flavor text is now about... Right. Evidence. Kazuki yeah. adjacent, yeah, it, it's kind of about evidence, and and it stops, yeah, assassins and call out a ninja. Like, of course, the Kazuki, the ninja, I hate Kazuki. Yeah, but if it works, then that's like if you get to investigate a planted evidence, that's a a huge swing. Well, not only is that a huge swing, but that's that planted evidence was going to be a huge play that you've just stopped. But yeah, that's uh, that's that's just not a ton of actions, and it costs gold. I, yeah. Okay, you get to whack them. They lose the honor, if any, for the action anyway, and then they lose another five. They probably don't care about the other five. Yeah, if they're playing honor self honor hit cards, which most of the assassin and Colat cards are, they probably don't care that much about five honor, unless you yourself are playing a dishonor deck. In which case, they probably wouldn't have played the card in the first place. Because they couldn't afford the honor hit. 
Yeah, I don't know. And there's just not a lot. I mean, you're going to hit... You can hit planted evidence. I don't know that... I mean, it's it was a cat. Nobody's going to play that, right? <laughs> Holding cells, that's a colot action, but... Yeah. I, I, I mean, again, that's a lot. I So there's there's not a lot that it, it hits. It does get some ninja actions on personalities, too, but... I don't know. I mean, I guess you'll be excited when you get to stop Natoshi's melee attack, but... Uh, amused, certainly. Well, I, I think you'll be flat-out excited. Uh, yeah. <laughs> also, that guy's got a lot of force in this environment. Just Yeah, he observation. does. Uh, I, I don't know. So, uh, obviously, we're going to be talking a lot more about Ivory Edition. We'll have some upcoming episodes where we actually have informed opinions uh, no wait uh, that doesn't sound like as much as we do at any point but yeah you know more of a chance to do more of a rigorous analysis uh i am going to be doing the look forward i think i think a reason where people are excited so if you if you don't go on the websites we are going to be kicking up a set of uh of Bushi league decks for the on the cheap articles one now that we've got everything for ivory edition to give you know, sort of, oh, here are some ideas for new players to just start out with, with inexpensive decks to, to mess around with at the start of Ivory Edition. We may have some some players outside of our standard, me and Jay and Mike, kind of make guest appearances to talk about Ivory Edition. So if you, uh, if you, one think that uh, you have something to contribute like that, or you know you have somebody in your your play group does who you know wants to uh, you kind of get into the nitty gritty about about the thing as a whole, about a particular faction. You know, this is your chance if you're a faction homer to come on and talk about how how your faction is awesome and or horrible depending on your mood. Well, it's, no, no, horrible. <laughs> your your cavalry personalities are overcosted or. Your Kensei have no force, or your Dishonor is impossible because of Proclaim, Honor Games, or whatever. Now's a chance. Now's a chance. And, of course, the way that you do that is to email me at chris at strangeassembly.com. You can also generally contact us by visiting us at facebook.com slash strangeassembly, or by... The Twitter. Yes, twitter.com at strangeassembly. You can subscribe to the podcast on our website, strangeassembly.com, or on iTunes. We'd always love to hear from you. But until then, for Jay Earl, I'm Chris Stevenson. You've been listening to Strange Assembly. Never stop gaming. Ivory Squeak.